Hey, we're going to do things a little different this morning. Uh, these guys are going to come back up here and lead some songs at the end. Um, before I kind of jump into the sermon, I just wanted to kind of give you a milestone in our church's history. I was talking to Brian Hitchcock on the phone on Friday from Nigeria, and I said, hey, Brian, we haven't really sent money for Ebro, which is one of our full-time staff and our guards over there and different, different staff that we have. I said, you know, do you need that? And he says, well, no, right now the business trees are covering all the costs for the staff and all those kinds of things. So the reality is, as we stand here uh, in 2012, March in 2012, Nigeria, self-sustaining enterprises, which was started in 2002, Nigeria is self-sustaining. So that, to me, is a milestone that I didn't want to just blow past. We are able to, amen, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have bigger fish to fry. We really do. There's a larger things we want to do in that country. But as we stand right now, if, if I were to just, you know, pass away tomorrow, I know that Nigeria, back-to-back Nigeria and self-sustaining enterprises in Nigeria, it's worked together. Uh, SSE is, uh, is self-sustaining. That is a huge, huge deal. That's amazing. We said we wanted to do it, and we did it, and we'll just keep growing that ministry, and we'll just keep sustaining that ministry through the business trees that we have here and, uh, and there, and there. Um, real fast, the chicken farm has grown from 200 chickens to 840 chickens. We sold the catfish in our aquaponics system there, and all the vegetables were on our second round of, of fish. We've drilled over 100 and, you know, probably 118 or 19 wells, servicing over 100,000 people, saving thousands of lives. The bridal shop is up and running right now, and there are people working there. They have now livelihoods. Their lives are changed. They're, all the businesses that we have are functioning, and it's self-sustaining. So I, you know, you, know, you dream these kinds of things, and people say, ah, it's not going to happen. You can't do that. And then, and then you get a phone call. It says, yeah, we're doing that. Um, it's, it's just exciting. It's really, really exciting. So we're going we're gonna to end our, the morning with worship as well, but we're going to jump into uh, the sermon. This morning, I'm going to continue this series, 40 Days in the Word. 40 Days in the Word. And today, I'm, I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how to, how to study the Bible. Now, some of you in junior high and high school are sitting there right now thinking to yourselves, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mom, for waking me up this morning, bringing me to church. This is going to be thrilling. This is going to be so thrilling. I know you're thinking that, but before you kind of check out or all of you get up to go get a drink of hot chocolate or something and not come back, it, it, I tell you, it, you're going to enjoy it, okay? I promise. It's going to be fun. Uh, little things that we're going to do this morning, little, little things that we're going we're gonna to try to pull off and be a little fun for you. The, here's the deal. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you, choose, if you say, I'm a Christian, I raise my hand, I'm a Christian, then you're a follower of Jesus. Well, you can't follow Jesus if you don't know where Jesus is going, if you don't know what Jesus is saying, if you don't know what Jesus is like. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to teach you how to study the Word of God so that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you face some of the challenges in your life, you'll be able to overcome those challenges because you'll know what to do. You'll know how to handle it. Remember it's what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All Scripture is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that a man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible says we need to be thoroughly equipped. That means if you're going to be thoroughly equipped, you need to be prepared. Take it from me in life. Things are going to happen, and you need to be prepared. And the way that you're prepared is you study the Word of God, you understand the Word of God, and you bring back to recollection the things that the Word of God says when you're facing a difficult situation. You need to think, you need to think ahead of time. What kind of questions do I need to ask 
if I'm going to face a challenge in life? What tools or what gifts or what skills do I need if I'm going to face a crisis? Over the past few months or so, the staff has gone through about nine hours, nine hours of CPR training, AED training, which is the defibrillator and, uh, and, and training on just, you know, how to do first aid. And one of the things that we learned as we went through this, one of the things that we were told is that we need to practice saying and then acting out what we were taught so that our brains would remind us what to do when we face that situation. So I'm going to put it to the test. Kevin's going to actually show you what we learned, I hope. He remembered. But Kevin's, Kevin's going to show you what we learned as we went over this and over this and over this for hours. <laughs> Save the tither. That's really important. I'm just, <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah, she told us when we uh, when we took that class. She said, you know, you're going to get flustered. You're going to get flustered. But if you practice and you talk over and over and over again, you do it out loud, it'll come back to you. Jeff also asked me to tell a story that uh, was impactful in my life about it will come back to you kind of a story. Um, this goes back about 17, 18 years. Our uh, girl, who's now a freshman in college, was one and a half-ish. And uh, I was, uh, it was during that time in my life that a friend of mine challenged me to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's 112 verses long. And uh, I thought, boy, daunting task, sounds impossible. I've never been much memorization kind of a guy, and so I thought, well, okay, here's my strategy. I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to take the next verse, you know, verse 1, and then I'm going to write it out, that helped me, uh, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again out loud, and then I'm going to go for a walk and just say it out loud, and then each day my walk was going to get, you know, a verse longer, and a little bit longer, a little bit longer. It took, you know, 112 days, and by the time I, you know, said that whole thing, it was about eight minutes long, but it, it worked. And what I really came to realize was all of those verses, all of that story, I kind of pictured it in my head. And no longer was it verses that just kind of I had heard every once in a while. But all of a sudden, they moved from here to here. It was in that time where uh, it was kind of a summertime, and I was doing a lot of uh, triathlon, duathlon racing. And I was going to go to this race in Houston Woods. And uh, I thought, well... I don't want to get up so early, and so um, I like camping, so I'm going to take the kids camping, and we'll just camp overnight, and then we'll already be there. Well, Kim and Logan already had something planned for that weekend, so I thought, well, I'll just take little Whitney, and we'll go camping, and it'll be fun, and when it comes race day, I'll just hand her off to somebody and say, here, hold her. I'll be back in an hour and a half, and uh, so anyway, we were camping that night, and we packed everything and doing the s'mores around the campfire and all that, and uh, she needed a diaper change. Now... I don't know if you parents are like us, but we've told our kids all along, hey, when you get older, we're going to tell lots of diaper stories on you. So this is one of those on Whitney. But anyway, she needed a diaper change. So got on the picnic table and got the diaper bag out. And you moms know how many how many diapers does a little toddler go through in a 24-hour period? What Lots of them, right? Six, eight, ten, whatever. And uh, so I looked in there and I thought, oh, no. There was one diaper in there. I mean, this was like at the beginning. I had another 24 hours to go. And I, was, I forgot. So I, I had just thought that. Okay, just looked in there. No, okay, I'm in big trouble. This is not going to work. 
Not 30 seconds later did this other lady from a nearby campsite come over and she said, hey, I just happened to notice that you have a girl about the same age as ours and, and I, I didn't pack enough diapers. Do you have one that I could borrow? <laughs> if I had not been doing the Sermon on the Mount, literally saying those verses hundreds and hundreds every day, multiple times, over and over and over again, my first reaction would have been, oh, man, you know, I did the same thing. Sorry. Can't help you. But I had said, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of times, probably thousands of times over the course of the last couple of months, I had said, like Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Mm. No longer was that something that I had read sometime in my youth. It was here. And so my very first reaction was, yeah, sure, here you go. I have one extra. Now, luckily, God is a God of bladder control. Because I don't know how this worked. I don't know if Whitney is scarred to this day because of the experience, but he held her bladder and it worked. I don't know. It worked. And I had to go home and say, hey, Kim, guess what? But when stuff moves from here to here, it just makes a huge difference. And I have lots and lots of stories, but he won't let me tell them. So. <laughs> good job. That was good. So now you know if anything happens to you as well that we've got you covered here at Grace Chapel. We've gone through all the training. We're all certified and everything with, uh, with that. But you might be thinking to yourself, you know, that story and this, you know, the stories about these crises that happen in your life. And, you know, you, you know he's down there one and two and three and four. And that's never going to happen to me. Those things don't really happen, in, you know, in real life. Well, let me tell you something. They really, really do. I'm a living example of these things happen in real life. Let me tell you a quick story. We were in Florida on vacation when Kim was probably a year and a half old, two years old. And uh, we were down there. We were just having a great time. We were fishing. We were, her grandparents owned a house on a nice lake. Last day there, second to last day there, we decided um, we're going to go fishing with our friend Robert, who lived right next door. He had a nice little boat, a little trolling motor, and he said, let's just go out. We'll take, the, we'll take Kim with us and everything. And Kimmy decided she was going to nap. Kimmy just stopped napping, and she decided she was going to nap at that point. And so we didn't take her with us. We left her with Debbie's grandparents. Deb and I got into a boat with Robert. It was a three-person boat. Robert was in the back steering the little, you know, trolling motor. I was in the middle, and Deb was uh, behind me in the front of the boat. And so we get out there in the lake, and we're going around, just trolling around fishing and just enjoying the beautiful weather. And this boat, this speedboat came by, and it was close enough where, you know, it kind of started rocking our boat. And I'm thinking, you know, they get a, you got a whole lake to pull these skiers around. There's two skiers in this huge boat. you got the whole entire lake. This was not a little pond. This was a big lake. You know, why, why do you have to come, come so close to us? So, you know, the first time around, they give us a little waves. Second time around, they got close enough where I felt the, the, the splash of the waves. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, this is, you guys are a little too close here. I, you know, whoa, move off, move over. And, uh, you know, didn't think much about it except for that's just annoying. Well, we're, we're there trolling around the lake and I, I just hooked this enormous, it was huge. It must have been like this big. Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying? It was just gigantic. It gets bigger every time I tell it, but it was huge. And I'm pulling, it's almost pulling me overboard and everything. It was like a white whale coming out of the water. And I'm pulling this baby in. And all of a sudden I see in the distance, the boat come around the curve. Uh, there's a little inlet kind of coming around this way. And I'm thinking, man, that's really lined up with us again. It's going to splash us. It's going to swamp us. This is so annoying. And I'm holding on, I'm just kind of reeling the fish. And I'm kind of actually looking, now looking behind me, thinking, man, he's 
kind of lined up. And as he got closer and closer, he was lined up with us. And one of the, one of the, the driver was like this. And the spotter was obviously looking behind him, looking at the, at the skiers. And he's coming right, right at us. And he probably got from here to that, that uh, we'll, we'll pass the wall, this wall. And I said to Deb, you know, if that person doesn't change his course, we've we got we to gotta do something here. We need to think about what we're going to do. And I said, listen, if he doesn't change, you know, I'll, I'll jump out one side, you jump out the other side, just be ready. So I, I, I put my pole down and I started yelling, hey, yo, 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 look, look over here, look over here. And he just kept on coming straight toward us. And it's almost surreal. You're thinking, this is not happening. This person is going to turn around and notice that what if it was a person on a floaty thing or a kid on one of the little, you know, ducky deals kind of deal floating around the water. Everybody lives around the lake. For about 45 seconds to a minute, the person never looked forward, and they were running up on us. And when they got right about from here to that wall or a little closer, I was, Deb was on one side, I was on the other. And as they got close, I jumped out of the boat. And while I'm in midair, that boat crashes. I heard this terrible just crashing, hit our boat, pushed our boat forward, sunk the boat under the water, and then slid back in. I didn't say this in the first service, but the only thing that saved lives was that our motor was down. We had a trolling motor, and our other motor was kind of sitting there, and their motor hit our motor, kicked their motor up and shut it off, and it just pushed our boat forward and then sunk underwater instead of just cutting straight through that little boat we were in. I mean, this was a huge speedboat. So it hit us. So I'm in midair. You know how they say, you know, everything slows down? I've been in multiple situations in my life where that actually does happen. Everything slows down. You're thinking through, okay, I have to, you know, Deb, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I had to jump out. I jumped out of that side of the boat. I'm in midair thinking to myself, what if this boat turns this direction? While I'm in midair, I'm thinking this. It's like, you're just thinking, well, what if it hits me? And I'm fish bait. You know what I mean? Maybe this wasn't a good idea to jump out of the boat in midair because that boat is really close. Well, I hit the water, and my next thought was, uh, what if the propeller cuts me into pieces and I'm fish bait? So I swooshed down, as, I went like this and got down as far as I could under the water underneath the propellers because there were propellers, there were boats, there were skiers. Something could hit me in the head, and then they'll find me two days later, and I didn't want that to happen. Um, so I get under the water. Well, my next thought is, you know, I told Deb to jump out that side. I was going to jump out this side, but I don't actually know if she jumped out that side. So I, get, I, come, I come screaming up out of the water, yelling for her, Deb, 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 are you okay? And what happened was Robert, who was in the back of the boat, he got knocked down under one seat. Deb got knocked down under the other seat. Thank God I jumped out because there were more seats to get knocked down under. So I would have, someone would have been crushed by the boat that was laying on top of us. And Deb got hit in the head, knocked under the seat. She got a big cut on her leg from the battery falling out of the boat. And, uh, and when it went back under, it, it slid under, slid off. And she came back up. Robert was just, you don't be gross or anything, but he was really, it cut him, not in the jugular, but above in his chin. He was bleeding like crazy. And Deb was just kind of knocked out for a second under the boat, but she was staggering. She was up, so I knew she was okay. But, you know, these things happen in life. And you're not, you may not run into the situation where you're going to have to jump out of a boat right before it crashes into you. But take it from me. These things actually do happen in your life. You need to be prepared for them. You need to be asking some, some questions before you get into situations in your life. So, for example, like, you know, right now you're dealing with things like, okay, how do I deal with the situation in school? How do I deal with the fact that I just lost my job? These are, these are situations in life that you face every single day. And you've got to ask yourself, how am I going to deal with what, I'm, what is happening in my life? 
How are you going to deal with it? You never know what life's going to throw at you, so you have to be ready. You have to be ready. And that's what we're talking about here. As we study the Word of God, just like Kevin said, you know, he studied the Word, and when it happened to him, he was prepared. He knew what to say. He, he reacted to it. Just like he learned to react if he sees someone on the ground, what to do. Your brain takes over. You react to it. It's the same way with the Word of God. We study it. We understand it. You need to know it. So when something in your life goes on, when some tragedy or difficulty or something comes up, you know how to deal with it. So this morning, I'm not going to do a Bible study. I want to teach you how to do a Bible study, how how to write or how to understand the Bible on your own, how to study the Bible on your own. So you're prepared to lead when that time comes. So you're prepared to handle situations that you know, I know, you're going to face in your life. When, you're, when, you're, when someone asks you, well, something about the Bible, a question about the Bible, well, if there's a God, then why, how are you going to answer him? You know, you're a Christian. Uh, you, you're a Christian, right? Yeah. So why is blah, 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 blah? Why does blah, 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 blah? You don't, what are you going to say? If your friend asks you to do this or try that, what are you, how are you going to respond? If you don't know what you're going to say, you're probably going to go, okay. But if you read Proverbs or read throughout the Bible, it says a fool does this and a wise person does this. So when they ask you to do something foolish, those verses are in your mind. You're saying that's foolish. That leads to this. If I do that, I could get myself into all kinds of problems. The Bible says, here's what I do. Here's what a fool does. Here's what a wise person does. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to basically pretend my mom's calling me and get out of this whole situation. They ask you to go somewhere or do something. You know what you're going to do. If your family's going through a crisis or a dilemma, how are you going to handle it? You don't know if you don't know the word you're just guessing you're hoping what you saw in oprah or dr phil works for you or whatever else but you what you need to do is you need the word of god coming back to you see the secret of bible study is simply learning to ask the right questions the more you bombard this is how you do it the more you bombard a specific verse or passage with questions the more you're going to get out of it so you read something and you start asking questions Lots of questions. The more questions you ask, the more you're going to get out of the Bible study or or that that particular passage. The Bible is a supernatural book. It's supernatural. So, you know, you can't you can never hit rock bottom with with learning. You read a passage, you read a passage and you think, well, now I've learned it. Now I've learned that one. No. It's supernatural. So you can read it and read it and read it and keep going back and reading it and keep learning. There's no bottom to it. I have gone back to passages I've studied for 25 years. I'll come up to that passage again and all of a sudden I'll realize, man, that's really, wow, I never realized that before. I never saw that before. I never really thought about it that way before. Now, it's not contradictory of what you learned before. It's just the way the Bible, because it's it's supernatural, because it's God-breathed, God layers words and phrases, and they'll mean different things. Not mean different things, but they'll, they'll speak to you in different ways at different times in your life. It'll be a word. It'll be a phrase. It'll be something that leads you someplace else within the Word of God. It's, it's, it is a bottomless, if you will, it is bottomless when it comes to learning and understanding. If you learn the principles of observation, you will get so much more out of the Bible than you ever have before. You'll see things you've never seen before. Now, there are many different methods of Bible study, and they're all good. They're, they're all very good. The only difference between methods is the questions that you ask when you're doing your Bible study the different questions that you would ask. As I said, the more questions you ask of a text 
a passage of scripture, a story in the Bible, the more you're going to glean, the more you're going to get out of it, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to understand. So while there are different ways to study the Bible, there are four categories, four categories you use in every Bible study. And that's what I want to teach you this morning. Four categories. If you have a pen or pencil or something, or I want you to write these down. I want you to know these, these four words, observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Those are four words. Those are the things. Each of those have questions behind them. These are the four things that you're going to do when you sit down by yourself and you begin to study the Bible. And let me say again, you think, oh, man, I come here and he's going to just, this is kind of boring. Well, we did, come on, we did the AID, thing. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the whole heart deal, you know, we told stories. It's really exciting, isn't it? Right? Okay. It's been, so stick with me. It'll still be exciting as we go on. All right? So those are the things you need to ask. Why? Because, listen, here's the bottom line. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ... These are things that you should desire to learn. I never made my kids study the Bible. I never said, get up in your room and learn all these things. You've got to be the smartest one in church. You're going to make me look bad. Never did that once in my life. You know what I would do if they weren't reading their Bibles? I'd look at them, either Kim or Jen, and I would say, hey, um, you, you say you're a follower of Christ, right? Yeah. So why would you not want to read your Bible? I don't understand. I'm confused. It's not my relationship with Jesus. It's yours. So if you say you're a follower of Jesus, why would you not want to know what the word of God says so you can be more? What is the goal of being a Christian? It's simple. Whoever is most like Jesus before we die wins. Simple as that. If you don't know anything about Jesus, you're going to get to heaven and he's going to look at you with a kind of a disappointed look on his face and go, man, come on, I gave you all these gifts, talents, and abilities and all these resources and that's what, I, that's what you gave me back your whole life? So this isn't about pressure. This is more about between you and the Lord. Okay, so let me explain what these things mean, these words mean. The first step in a Bible study is observation. Observation. The question you ask with observation is, what does it say? What does it say? Right? What does it say? So you read a passage of Scripture and you ask yourself, you observe it, and then you write down what you observe. You write down what you observe. There's a difference between Bible reading and Bible study. In a Bible, in a Bible reading, you read in the Bible. In a Bible study, you have a pen or a pencil, or you have your iPad, or have your, you have your computer, and you're, you're typing notes. You're writing down notes. You're learning it. Like Kevin said, I wrote the thing down. You know, it helped them to write it down. So you write down what you observe, what you see. You're not, you're not interpreting at this stage. You're not trying to interpret what it says. You're not trying to find the meaning of what it says. You're just, you're observing. You observe it. You ask the question, what does it say? Well, it says this and this and this, and then you write that down. You write all those observations down, okay? Observation. The next is interpretation. The interpretation, you're asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? Now, you may be sitting there this morning. You say to yourself, well, um, well, Pastor Jeff, you know, I, I thought, doesn't it just mean what it says? No, it doesn't mean what it says by the Bible all the time. The Bible means what it means. Understand that. It doesn't just mean what it, it doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. Because in every piece of communication on earth, okay, when people communicate, they use metaphors, they use analogies, they, they use phrases that don't always mean literally what you think they mean or, you know, in, in a given situation. Let me give you an example. Uh, I'm writing a letter to one of you, and I say, I say um, uh, you know, yeah, you're, really, you're pulling my leg, okay? And I write this long letter, and in there it says you're pulling my leg. 
So someone now, a thousand years, finds my letter, all right, and they're reading this, and they're, they're kind of going through it. They speak a different language. They're at a different time in a different place. But they have my letter a thousand years from now. And so they're reading, they're saying, well, Pastor Jeff said that so-and-so was, was pulling his leg. Now, they could literally interpret that, understand it as, you grabbed me by the ankle and you were pulling on my leg. And they're thinking, why would they pull on the poor pastor's leg? That's just terrible. What kind of church was this? Madness running everywhere, pulling the pastor's leg. No, it doesn't mean that. What is it? That doesn't, pulling, pulling my leg doesn't mean pulling my leg. What does it mean? It means you're kidding me, you're joking with me, you're teasing me. Correct? It has nothing to do with actually pulling on my leg, but if you read it a thousand years from now, you may interpret it and say, yeah, these people were pulling on the poor guy's leg all the time. It's really annoying. I, couldn't, I can't believe he was a pastor of that church for so long. He survived. Man, having his leg pulled on like that constantly. The point is, the Bible means what it means. It means what it means. You know what it means by looking at the context around it. You can read something. There's you know, different parts of the Bible that says there is no God. It says, it says it in Psalm, there is no God. Unless you read the rest of the context and says, a fool says that there is no God. So you can't just pull things out of context. It means what it means within the context of the word of God as a whole. Okay? So it, it doesn't just mean what you think. Let me give you an example. I could throw the word. I'm going to ask you, what does the word pin mean? Pin, P-I-N. And now you say, well, I know what pin means. Well, it means different things to different people. If you're a baker, you might be thinking of a rolling pin. If you're an athlete, you're thinking of a bowling pin, or you're thinking of pinning a person to the mat if you're a wrestler. If you're a little kid and just got back from a party, you're thinking about pin the tail on the donkey. There are over 60 meetings to the word pin. So you can't just say, well, you know, uh, I, 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 you know I, I think the, this, this word means this. The word means what it means. It, do, it doesn't always mean what you think it means. Sixty different meanings to the word pin. You have to understand it within the context. If I say to one of you, if I say, hey, Kevin, can you run to Walmart for me and get me glasses? Do I actually literally mean that Kevin should put his shoes on, right, because he's a good runner, and run from here to Walmart to go get me glasses? Is that what I mean? I don't mean that. What do I mean? If I say to you, I want you to run to the store for me, what do you do? You get in your car. Can I borrow your keys? My car is out of gas, whatever you say, but you're saying, I'm going to get in my car and run to the store for you. I don't mean literally run there. And what kind of glasses are you going to get for me? Am I talking about reading glasses? I want to read something or am I talking about if I say go get me some glasses so we can set the table for the company that's coming tonight. We need better glasses. You see, the Bible means what it means. You can't just, you know, grab something and say this is what I think it means. So first you ask what does it say and then you ask what does it mean? And then the third step in the Bible study is correlation. Correlation. It's, this is saying uh, what other verses help explain what I'm reading? What other verses in the Bible help explain what I'm reading? And someone after first service told me to do this, and I agree with them. And I'm going to get into, you know, how do you, how do you correlate different verses? You know, in your Bible, there's little, there's little notes here, and there's different verses in between the texts. This, if you go, it says 18.6, and then it says Proverbs 10.14, and it says Psalms 104.9, and Psalms 64.8, and Proverbs 10.14, and blah, blah, blah. What this is saying is there are other verses in the Bible that, that are similar to the one you're reading and basically mean the same thing. It's kind of elaborating on what you're reading. So you, you're correlating. You're saying, is this, is this make sense? What other verses in the Bible help me understand what, what I'm reading right now? 
What other verse in the Bible will kind of give me a, 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 better, a better understanding? So it's called correlation. You correlate verses. You compare verses. You know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. You need the Bible. You use the Bible to explain the Bible. I was talking to one of the students about two weeks ago in my office, and they were looking at all the books that I have in my office, and they were saying, wow, this, you know, these are really good. And I was explaining to them that these are written just by people who have some really good ideas, who have studied about the Bible, you know, concerning the Bible. But they're not, it's not the inspired word of God. So I'll read those, and I'll take, I'll glean things from those, but that's not the, that's not the, end of it, okay? Just because someone says something about the Bible doesn't make it true. Well, when the Bible says something about the Bible, again, using the correlation, you kind of look at this verse and you, what other verses say the same thing? It helps you understand. What other verses help me understand what I'm reading? And one of the principles of interpretation here, too, is that you interpret an unclear passage. You read something, you're, you're in high school or junior high or you're an adult, doesn't matter, and you read something and you say, well, I don't, I'm not sure I understand that. What you do is you interpret an unclear passage with, a, with, with, with one in the, in the light of one that is clear, okay? So you interpret the unclear because, again, this was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. are talking about Greek, and they're trying to translate from a language from thousands of years ago, okay, into, into English today, and there are certain words that just don't transfer, and they do their best they can to take, okay, what did that word mean in the original? What word best describes it in the English? And so sometimes you read and you're like, well, I'm not positive. I think it means this, but I'm not positive. So you look at other verses that are clear, that are much clearer to help you interpret the verse that's not clear, okay? Because of, because of what I just described to you. So you take the clear to help to describe those things that are unclear. Um, so in other, in other words, if something doesn't make, if a Bible verse doesn't make sense, or you really don't understand the meaning of it, you look at something else in the Bible that does make sense to help you with it. All right? We're on that one? Okay. Again, the clear, with the, you help, the clear will help you with the unclear. Now, if you don't do that, here's what will happen to you. You'll be reading through your Bible, and all of a sudden, you'll do one of these jobs. God, speak to me, which don't do this. God, speak to me. It's, not even, it's, it's actually a map, so you're not even speaking to me. It's like, go here. Okay. So we'll try it again. Uh, boom. It says, um, after they had heard the king, they went their way and the star and they reached the east and blah, blah, blah. So you read that. You know, if, if you do that kind of thing, you know what you end up doing? Starting a cult. Okay. If you just pick things out of context, if, if you're not doing it, what I just described, letting the clear explain the unclear, then you end up starting cults. You say, well, I think it means that. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that at all. But instead of really studying the word of God, you're pulling things out of context and you're leading yourself and other people astray. The way we know that the, what we're looking at is clear is to, is to look at it in the context of the whole Bible. The way you know, the, way you are, the best way to understand is to look at what you're reading in context of the whole Bible. Let me give you an example. In James chapter 2, James seems to be saying that we are saved by works. Okay? James chapter 2, verses 14 through uh, 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers, listen to what it says, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
But we know that Paul teaches us over and over again that we are saved by grace, by faith alone. Listen to what it says in Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now, you've probably read this one before, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In this case, James is not contradicting the rest of Scripture when he says that in James chapter 2, 14 through 17. What James is doing, what first Paul is speaking, when Paul's speaking, he's speaking of, of, of justification before God, which is by grace alone. James is speaking of justification before men who can't see your faith. They can only see your works. So what James is saying to people, basically he's challenging your faith. He's saying, he's saying basically, I don't believe that you have saving faith. Because of the fact that you don't live it out, there's no fruit in your life, there's, no, there's nothing that shows me that you're a Christian. And see, back then they didn't care about political correctness. So if someone goes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and then never lives like one, never desires to read the Bible, never lives out their faith, whatever else, James would say, I'm calling you on it, I don't believe you're a Christian. How can you say you're a Christian if you see someone starving? How can you say you're a Christian if you see someone need? How can you say you're a Christian if you need, someone needs a diaper or whatever, and, and you basically just say, yeah, it's your tough luck. That's what he's saying. Paul says basically the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for those in his immediate family, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. What Paul's saying is the same thing that James is saying. Paul's saying, is, Paul's saying this. If you can't do the simplest thing, like take care of your own family, the pagans do that and they don't even know Christ. They, that's, that, that is a simple moral imperative. They do that without knowing Christ. If you say you know Christ and you don't take care of your own, Paul is saying you're a liar. James is saying the exact same thing. But if you read that first, it sounds like, well, James is saying you're saved by works. That's not what he's saying at all. It's not what he's saying at all. They're saying the exact same thing. So what you do within the context, though, you look at the entire context of, that, of, of the Bible to get your answer. When you, study, when you study the Bible, you can't just pull things out of the Bible, verses out of the Bible willy-nilly. You have to look at the context of the word of God to understand what's going on in the Bible. It is not that difficult. It really isn't. It's not that difficult. You read the Bible sometimes, you pick it up, and you go, I'm going to read it now. I haven't read it in about a year, and I'm going to read it. And you read it, and all of a sudden you get stuck, and you go, man, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. Boom. There is no God. You haven't looked at the context. You don't understand what you're reading. Don't flip the Old Testament open, see how God says, wipe them all out, and then go, that's ridiculous. How could God say that? Well, let's see. You didn't read the verses or the chapters or the books before that where God gave them 400 years to repent. They're killing their own children by human sacrifice. There's no good left in that entire culture. And then God says, I've had enough. I've heard the cries and screams of everyone around you, and now it's over. You know what I mean? We don't read all that in the context. We just read one thing, go, oh, see how mean God is? I can't be a Christian. This is terrible. You've got to know things in the whole entire context. Now, the fourth step is application. 
Application. Application is what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do with it? I've got all this information. I've learned it. You know, you ask the question, what does it say? What does it mean? What other verses help to explain it to me? And then last, how do I apply this to my life? What do I do with what I've learned? No matter what Bible study you're going through, you're going to ask those four things, okay? Those are the four areas you're going to touch. No matter how you study the Bible, those are the four questions you're going to ask. Application is powerful, my friends. It is powerful. What it does is helps you memorize Scripture. When you apply something, Kevin didn't say this, but I'm sure that once he handed that, it's a story he told How many years ago is that? 17 years ago? That story helps solidify in his mind that verse. He may not be able to memorize, remember everything from what he memorized years ago, but I'll tell you right now, he knows that verse. Why? Because when someone came to him and said, I'm in need, do you have a diaper? He handed that diaper over and it went from his head to his heart. He owns it. Even if he can't quote it exactly, he owns it. And that's what application does. It allows you to own what you're learning. Remember what James tells us in James 1.22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to what I just told you this morning and deceive yourself into thinking you're something you're not. If you're not doing what it says, hear it. I teach, you apply. I teach, you apply. I teach, you apply. You read, you apply. You read, you apply. You go to Bible study, you go to youth group, you listen and you apply. And when you apply, you own it. You own it. It's yours. It's yours. I was talking to someone this week and they said last week's sermon really had a, it really, it really shook them, really had an impact on their lives. And they said, you know, they, they, they really want to start applying what God is, is, is saying in their lives. They want to, they want to bring it to reality. But they said the, the problem is, they said they want to take some next steps in their spiritual walk. But they said the problem is that they're not setting aside the time necessary in order to apply or, or, or make decisions based upon what God is telling them through his word. So God is speaking to them. God is speaking to us, but we're not, we're not really applying it because we're not taking the time to sit back and go, Lord, I hear you. Help me to change. Help me to take what you're teaching me, apply it to my life and bring about, bring around change in my life. But that's, that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the hard part. God is speaking to us, but we don't have the time to listen. We don't have the time to listen. We're not taking the time to make those important decisions in our lives. I want you to bow your heads with me right now as we close. And for the remainder of our service, I want us to stop and just worship. We have a couple of minutes. I want us to just worship. I want us to listen and make decisions. Listen to what I'm saying. I want us to listen to God's word. I want, as you you can read a little bit, you can pray. We're going to be singing some songs. I want you to listen to God's word. and, And I want you to be thinking about how you can apply what God is saying to you to your own life. What is it, ask yourself, what is it being calling me to do? What, what, what habits do I need to overcome? What, what addictions do I need to overcome? What personality flaws do I need to overcome? What are some things that I'm doing? Am I impatient? Is anger something that's still override, you know, is an overriding issue in my life? God, you want to speak to God and ask him, God, help me to overcome those things. Listen to him. And listening, in listening, he could be calling you to stop doing something. I'm not asking you to ask him... Ask God, you know, what more can you do? Get involved. It may be something you need to back out of, not just in church, but in other parts of your life. 
I just want you to listen to God as we, we sing a few songs. I want to take just 30 seconds right now before they, they, they're any singing. I want to take 30 seconds and I want you just to speak to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to apply some of the things I've been learning in church and Bible studies on, on my own, the way you've been speaking to me. Help me just take a few seconds right now and to make some decisions in my life to overcome some of the things that, that, that are in my life right now that I need to overcome. Just take a few minutes and let God speak to your heart.